dysfunctional families are, are pretty common these days, and we use that term a lot. In fact, after being in ministry now for the last 35 or 40 years, it seems like every one of us probably came from a dysfunctional family at some point, right? You look back in your life, when you lived in it, it didn't seem like it was all that dysfunctional, but the more you get away from it and look back, it seems like, oh yeah, there were some real issues in our family. There were some issues with dad. There were some issues with mom. There were issues going on. You know, one of the things that was, as I was thinking about this topic was the fact that God has created us as a tripart being. He created us as, as a body, as a soul, and a spirit. So there's our mind, if you will, our will and our emotions, or there's the physical, there's the emotional, and there's the spiritual. In order for us to be healthy, all three of those need to be hitting on all the cylinders, right? In fact, when I do premarital counseling with a lot of couples and talk about marriage, I say, you know, marriage is a three-legged stool. You can have the physical, you can have the emotional, but you need to have the spiritual. And without the spiritual, you're, it's a terrible balancing act on two legs. And that's true in the family. If the family does not have a spiritual component to it, you may even have physical intimacy and spiritual or emotional intimacy and connection, but if you don't have that spiritual connection, you have a dysfunction. And so this morning I want to talk to you about spiritual leadership and if you are a spiritual leader in your home, that's fine. But I want to talk to you about spiritual leadership. What I mean by that is, is that I think that every one of us need to be spiritual leaders in our home. We oftentimes use Ephesians chapter 5, which is where we're going to that in, to this morning, as a component to really challenge men to be the spiritual leader of their home. But I, what I want to do with you this morning is kind of take a look at Ephesians chapter 5 a little bit differently and help you see that I think there are four principles here that model what I would consider spiritual leadership. So I'm not going to just zero in on you as men this morning, but you as ladies too, that we all see how critically important it is for all of us to demonstrate spiritual leadership in the home in order to take the dis out of dysfunctional. So I want to start right away in chapter 5 of the book of Ephesians. If you have your Bibles, you can look at verse 21, which is oftentimes not read when we talk about being a spiritual leader. What does it say? It says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. So the first principle of spiritual leadership is submission. In any relationship without submission, you've got disharmony. And you notice it says here to submit as to the reverence of Christ. So you say, well, I can't submit to this person because they don't demonstrate the qualities of Jesus Christ. That's not the point. See, if you're submissive, you're submissive as to the Lord, and so you allow God to do the work in that other person's life. By the way, have you ever thought about submission being a very powerful place to be? We always think about submission as a place of weakness. We think that if I, if I submit, then I'm surrendering my right, or I'm surrendering some kind of authority, and that creates a vulnerability in my life. But think about this for a minute. When you submit to to a person as to the Lord, who now is in control or who has the power over that person? It's the Lord. So even Jesus, when he went to the cross, the scriptures tell us in Philippians chapter 2 that he died and he humbled himself to the point of death on the cross. So he submitted himself. But then what did God do? He highly exalted him so that every knee would bow and every tongue would confess. The ultimate act of submission brought the greatest act of exaltation, right? Right? 
So submission is a powerful place to be because you're allowing God to do the work in that person's life and not you. You're not playing the role of the Holy Spirit. So submission is a powerful place to be. See, now, if you're submissive, you need to realize that you need to be teachable. You know, Jesus demonstrated submission right away in John chapter 4, verse 34. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. He demonstrated submission, right? Now, if you're teachable, you will always be getting smarter and thus more influential. That's a part of being submissive. Proverbs chapter 24, verse 5 says this, A wise man is mightier than a strong man, and a man of knowledge is more powerful than a strong man. So what the Lord is saying to us this morning is that I've got to be teachable if I'm submissive. If I'm modeling teachability in every and every circumstance, I'm continually learning and I'm growing in my knowledge and wisdom. And because of that, because of that submissive attitude, I'm becoming stronger and even more influential. We think sometimes that when we're not teachable, that we're going to maintain our influence because we're going to be strong and stubborn and proud. But really, our influence grows greater when we demonstrate a teachable spirit. Amen? No, that was lame. Okay. (laughs) You see, a person who's not teachable will lose influence with their followers. If you're not teachable as a parent, as a dad, as a husband, as a wife, your children, for instance, are going to look at you and they're going to lose influence because mom and dad think they have it all together, but they really don't. So when you're teachable, you actually get smarter, if you will, and you become even more influential. So teachability, again, is a powerful place to be. And sometimes we think it's a place of weakness because our pride gets in the way. I had that problem this week. My wife says I need a hearing aid. She's been telling me that for two years. And so I went to the audiologist this week, and I'm getting a hearing aid. I was teachable, but it took me a long time. You know, and what's interesting is it's all the highs, you know, in my my ear. And, And it's when women's voices are the hardest ones to distinguish. So guess who wants me to be more teachable, okay? But teachability, hopefully, I will have more influence with my wife because I'm wearing a hearing aid. All right, moving right along. (laughs) Secondly, if you're teachable, it will save you a whole lot of pain. For me, being teachable was saving me from a whole lot of nagging, okay? So that's painful, okay? Proverbs 13, 14 says, The advice of the wise is a life-giving fountain. Those who accept it avoid snares of death. See, submission is a matter of teachability. And thirdly, more importantly, if you're teachable, you will hear from God. Teachable people want to know what the Lord's will is in their life. That's their food. That's what they feast on. Are you that kind of a person that that is so submissive and under God's authority that you want to know His will? You want to learn from Him as much as you can. Remember Psalm 139 that says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my thoughts. Point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path of everlasting life. So teachability is a powerful place to be, just where submission is at. So are you a submissive kind of leader in your home? 
Are you demonstrating this submissive attitude, this teachability, so that those who are around you, you are having greater influence and less pain in your life? That's spiritual leadership. He starts out in verse 21, submit to one another. Now, we constantly say, wives, submit to your husbands. It starts out here. No, we submit to one another. She submits to me. I submit to her. We submit to the kids. The kids submit to us. It's a whole attitude and culture of submission that needs to be in the home if it's going to be functional. Let's move on to the second component, verse 25. Verse 25, it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. You'll see here the principle of sacrifice. The second leadership principle to make a home functional is that there has to be sacrifice demonstrated. Philippians chapter 2 verse 5 says, Your attitude should be the same that Christ had. Though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. So sacrifice, the way it's fleshed out in our homes is, is when we decide to be like Jesus and give up our rights, if you will. Now, it doesn't say that we don't have rights. It's just saying that when push comes to shove, the sacrificial thing to do is to give up my right. What does that look like? What are some of the rights that you have a tendency to cling to in your own home? Well, for some of you, it might be a right to privacy. I need my space. I got to have my space. Well, there may be times in your, in your, your life as, as a part of the family where you have to say, wait a minute, you know, it, I, I can't give that up right now. But then there's other times where you say, you know what, I need to give that right up. I know one of the things that we do in our home is we host pastors and wives. They come through our homes and we triage them. We encourage them. They come on sabbatical leave or honeymoons or when they're having emotional problems. And we lose a lot of privacy in our home. But we gave up that right as a sacrifice for these people who really need that encouragement and that love on them. So sometimes we need to give up a right to privacy. It might be a right to your own personal time. It might be a right to be wrong. And it might be a right to be right. For some of us, we need to give up those rights. Or maybe sometimes we need to give up the right to lead or to be in control. Or perhaps... We need to give up the right men to have that toy or the right to be angry. The list can go on and on and on. You see, when we think about sacrifice, spiritual leadership is the first type of leadership that demonstrates sacrifice, a giving up of rights, a not clinging to rights. Most conflict comes when there are certain expectations that are unsaid that cling to our rights to have these expectations met. And consequently, we end up having all kinds of conflict in the home because it's about me, not about you. Did you grow up in a home where somebody in your home was narcissistic? Where it was all about them? I just recently read an article about Joseph Smith, the founder of the Mormon Church, and they said that he had the narcissistic personality disorder, NPD. Did you grow up in a family where it was NPD all over written, written all over it? 
where there was somebody in the family that was all about them. It was all about their control. It was all about their life, about their emotions, about their rights. And consequently, nobody else really mattered. That's the dysfunctionality. But when we talk about spiritual leadership, a spiritual leader is always the first person that's willing to not cling to their rights, to be able to be sacrificial. So are you willing to be sacrificial to demonstrate spiritual leadership in your home? Now let's move on. As you look at verse 25 and 26, you'll notice that it says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? To make her holy. What I see here is that spiritual leadership has a savior component to it. What do I mean by that? Well, when we think about saving something or saving somebody, we know that Christ saved us from sin and saved us from, from eternity and hell. And so in essence, he, he threw out a, a life preserver. He threw out this, this thing that said, if you just trust me, if you believe in me, if you allow me to take the punishment for your sin, I will save your life. I will protect you from eternal damnation. And so what does that look like when it comes to the family? Well, I think it means that we should be each other's lifesavers in the home. We should be each other's lifesavers in the home. When 1 Peter 3, 7, when men are really challenged to live with their wives in an understanding way as with a weaker vessel, you sense here that this weaker vessel concept is this, we need to cherish this piece of fine china because it also increases with value when it ages. So in other words, there's this protector component that needs to be in the life of a family where somebody is continually thinking through, how can I extend a lifesaver of protection to my family? That might be emotional protection. That might be physical protection. That might be, in other words, what we're doing is we're creating a security blanket, a, a sort of a safety net in our homes, being saviors in our homes. Now, we're not the Messiah. I don't want you to get that confused. But my point is this, that we need to learn how to be a protector and to not take that for granted in any way with our family. We all have that responsibility to kind of protect each other and to treat each other with great respect as fine china that could be easily broken. Secondly, we can be a savior in our family, not only by being a protector, but by being more understanding. In 1 Peter 3, 7, it says, live with your wives in an understanding way. Understanding means dignifying or giving significance or taking away their loneliness, listening, validating. That's a part of being a savior. That's a part of creating a sense of security and acceptance in the home. And are we creating that kind of a model of understanding? I remember a long time ago, Tim Kimmel, who's a friend of mine, has written many books about the family. And Tim would say that we should all be students of our children. We should all be students of our children because we not only need to live with our wives and our husbands in an understanding way, we need to live with our kids in an understanding way so that when you train up a child in the way, what? He should go. In other words, you've got it figured out as to what direction and what you sense your child's gifts are and abilities, and you train them up so that they can go in the direction that they're kind of gifted and, and made to go. 
And how do you do that? You've got to understand them. You've got to know them. You've got to learn from them. You've got to be teachable by them. It goes back to that submissive concept. So we live with each other in an understanding way so that we understand and walk in their shoes. And we're going to talk about that a little bit in a minute. But to give that person significance and to take away their loneliness. How many of you grew up in a home where you were lonely and you felt misunderstood? I know I was the middle child. I was the second son out of three. And my oldest brother, I felt like got all the breaks and my younger brother was spoiled and I got lost in the middle. And I thought, you know, I thought I was misunderstood. And so I grew up all through my, my childhood days feeling misunderstood. Well, that was maybe a part of that dysfunctionality that was in my home. So understanding is a key component to being a savior, if you will, a lifesaver, a preserver and protector of those in your family. The third concept is to be a provider. 1 Timothy 5.8 says we need to care for those in our family. And what he's saying here, uh, those who need to be providing for their family, and if they don't, they're worse than an unbeliever or an infidel. I think that Lord is really saying more than just financially. In other words, as a provider, we're a part of being a savior. We're creating that security again for our family, whether it's emotional provision, whether it's physical provision, whatever that looks like. That could be financial support. That could be more compassionate or emotional support. And it can be spiritual support. So are we creating that provision in our home so that people feel supported and provided for? All that is that safety net or that life-preserving concept that I think that the Savior brings to the table. Now, there's a fourth component to spiritual leadership I want to share with you this morning, and that's found in verse 28. Verse 28 of chapter 5. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated his own body, but feeds and cares for it just as Christ does the church. For you are members of his body. So what he's saying here is this. Be sympathetic as a spiritual leader. Be sympathetic. In other words, I need to learn to say, if it was me, how would I feel or react? We need to be able to say that. In other words, if you're going to love your wife or love each other like you love yourself... It means that you have to kind of walk in their shoes in order to understand the way they feel and how they work and how they operate. And so consequently, what I think what Paul is trying to say is when you love your wife like your own body, you've got to say, you know what, how would I feel if I were treated like that? And so there's a sympathetic side of spiritual leadership that's consequently often missing in a family. And see, chances are you're going to be far more sympathetic if the same thing happened to you, right? If I've experienced this pain and this frustration, I'm going to be far more sympathetic to that other person who's living in my house. Secondly, if we understand that if it's done to my kids or if it's done to the person that I love or my mate and my family, it's really done to me because we're all one body. See, the church, we remind ourselves again that we are all one body. When one part hurts, we all hurt. So if our kids are hurting or our wife is hurting or our husband's hurting, then we're hurting. 
That's a part of spiritual leadership to identify and to sympathize. See, we have a great high priest, Scripture tells us, that, that sympathizes with our weaknesses because he too was tempted just like we were, yet without sin. So we have a Savior who's sympathetic to us. We need to be sympathetic to those that are around us. We need to walk in their shoes, listen to them, understand them, provide for them, and we begin to demonstrate spiritual leadership. Now, some of you are saying, wow, you've just described four components of spiritual leadership this morning. That is really a huge challenge. You're exactly right. When we're talking about submission and sacrifice and sympathetic and being a savior, if you will, that's a lot. That's a tall order. But again, I want to remind you that you will not have a healthy family unless spiritual leadership is demonstrated in it. You will not take the dis out of dysfunctional until you begin to have that spiritual component that's a part of that tripart way that God has created all of us. And your family needs to be a tripart just as much as you are so that your kids and your wife and your husband are all ministered to not only with your body but your soul and your spirit And one of the weakest components of most dysfunctional families is the spiritual side. What I find is really fascinating to me is that I'll see a couple who is fighting like crazy and they both call themselves Christians. And I can't figure it out. I say, how can two people who claim to have the Holy Spirit in their lives, who claim to be controlled by the Holy Spirit, how come they're always fighting? How come they're... Well, somebody's obviously not being led by the Spirit. So let me tell you how you get there. Let me just give you one very basic thing to how do you get to this place in your family where the spiritual component becomes alive? Well, let me just say this. It only starts with spiritual intimacy with God. That's where it all starts. What God wants for us is this. Our relationship to him means more to him than the tasks we complete. Did you get that? We are so busy in our culture today that we find ourselves doing more than being. And intimacy requires being, doesn't it? Until you slow down long enough to hear what God has to say, you will never be intimate with God. Just like with your family or your, or your mate, you will never be fully intimate until you slow down long enough to hear what each person has to say. And as you listen, you validate. As you validate, you become closer, you become one, you begin to understand each other, and intimacy takes place. Here's a comment that I want to make. In fact, in Psalm chapter 50, it says, I don't need your sacrifices. I need your thanks and your dependency. So why is this important? Intimacy with God initiates It steers and energizes and maximizes leadership. Spiritual leadership can only flow from intimacy with God. Here's the point. It's a very simple ratio. If your leadership is lacking in your home, spiritual leadership, the real issue is you don't have an intimacy with God. That's the bottom line. It's as simple as that. If, if you're not demonstrating spiritual leadership, what's going on is something internally between you and God that's not connecting. That's the bottom line. See, when we fail to be spiritual, you can count on the fact that you have compromised your intimacy with God. We can lead only if we're led. You hear what I just said? 
You can only lead if you're led by who? By the Holy Spirit. So you will never be a spiritual leader unless you're led by the Holy Spirit. And that takes time and energy that's expended by depending on Him and being intimate with Him one-on-one. So if there is a problem of dysfunctionality in your home, it's got to start with you getting alone with God and saying, God, where am I at? Teach me, God. Show me what's going on in my life because my intimacy is not working right now with you and it's taking its toll on my family. So it just simply starts by getting alone with God and being intimate with Him, saying, Lord, search me, O God, and know my heart. I want to be so connected with you that my leadership in the home or in the family is a byproduct of what I'm getting from you internally. That's why devotional life, that's why prayer life, that's why accountability, that's why small groups, that's why church is so important in our lives because it hopefully encourage our intimacy with God so that when we're in the fleshing out of our life in our homes, there's some reality to it. And the kids and the family are seeing it and feeling it and they're absorbing it into their systems and it becomes a part of your culture. So what does that look like? Maybe that's time, more praying time with your wife that's and your, your husband at maybe more intimate times where you carve out some time alone with God. That's finding fellowship with other believers. That's worshiping together. It's all about discovering who God is in your life and listening to him and slowing down long enough to hear what he has to say. So let me ask you, If you were to assess the atmosphere in your home presently, whether you're an empty nester or not, whether you have family here or not, is there this kind of atmosphere or culture that's being bred into your family life to bring that third and critical component to take the dysfunction out of your your family is that spiritual leadership component apparent in your family? I would suggest that you would sit down and evaluate it, and I would evaluate it with your mate and say, you know, what are we? Are we demonstrating this, this sacrificial, this submissive, this teachability, or, or, or do we have some stubbornness going on? Do we have some pride factors that we need to deal with? Because what we want to do is we, want to, we maybe won't ever be a, a totally a non-dysfunctional family, but gosh, there's a ways that we can move towards health when it comes to our family life. We have inherited an entire generation among generations, right? And most of you probably can look back and you've seen what dysfunction has caused and wreaked havoc in your own life and in the lives of others. Let's make a covenant together as men and women, as dads and moms and grandparents to bring spiritual leadership into our home. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you this morning for the opportunity to to share with the congregation again. It's so good to be back home after being gone for so long. But God, I, I pray that the things that have been shared here this morning would really begin to stimulate some thinking and some motivation for some of the, the moms and dads and grandparents that are sitting here. God, we need to realize again how absolutely critical it is to have that balance between the physical and the emotional and the spiritual. We need to have that balance in our personal lives. 
And if that's missing in somebody's life this morning, God, I pray that they would go to you first and take the time to really hear from you, to really connect with you, and to really experience your love once again in their life. And may that just overflow into the lives of other folks and in their family life and in their marriages. God, we need stronger spiritual leadership. And if it's a single mom or a single dad, God, I know that it's got a kind of a double indemnity for them, but God, I know that you are full of God, uh, power and grace and, and you can give them that kind of, of sustenance and encouragement and provision for them so that they can do the same, even if they're alone. Father, as we dig into this a little deeper next week, I pray that, again, we'd be challenged. But more than anything, Lord, we're reminded again as we celebrated communion this morning how submissive you were to the Father, how you became a living sacrifice on the cross, how you became our Savior, and then became a sympathetic high priest. God, help us to do the same. In Jesus' name I pray. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.